My subject this morning is transitions. We all face transitions in life. They come all the time, every, not every day, but frequently enough. Transitions can come in different ways to different people, but we all, we all have certain commonalities in our transitions. They can be big things, they can be little things. They can be planned events, or they can be sudden and unplanned. Transitions are centered around something, something that changes. It can be an exciting change. It can be a daunting change. It can be something that is just a life milestone. Becoming a teenager, turning 18, turning 30, turning 45. There's a good one for lots of folks turning 60. When we lived in Mesquite, we lived in a cul-de-sac. It was a big cul-de-sac. There were 12 houses in this cul-de-sac. Diagonal from us, there was a lady who worked for the Texas Highway Patrol. And when she turned 30, she called in sick, locked all of her doors, closed all of her windows, and would not answer the door, answer the phone, and turned off all of her lights because she was afraid of turning 30. Apparently, as the story goes, she harassed everybody who turned 30, and so she thought she was going to get some back. But it created a great deal of stress, that 30-year-old transition. That's one that we all face. If we live long enough, we will face those transitions. So those are, those are things we cannot avoid. But then other transitions are things like losing a job, changing jobs becoming ill, becoming disabled, being bereaved. There's a lot of things that produce these transitions in our life, some that are big, small, some we can avoid, and some that are unavoidable. What, well, experiencing these transitions in life can bring out a lot of different feelings in us, a lot of different mental processes and pathways that we go through. Sometimes those transitions can leave us paralyzed with fear because we just can't figure out which way to go. Sometimes those transitions in life are exciting, filled with energy because of opportunities that we see coming before us. And so things like graduating high school can be exciting and thrilling. It also can be fearful. How many of you were, were fearful when you graduated high school and didn't know what was coming next? I know I did. Because the high school I graduated from, I only had been there for four months. And so where to go next and how to go, that was, that was difficult. But powered through it made my way through it without too much difficulty. Well, why are transitions in life challenging? Because they always are. So what is it that causes transitions to be so challenging? Well, I can think of three reasons why they are challenging. The first one is very simple, change. How many of us like change? 
You want change all the time. I, you know, the older I get, the less I like change. How about, I, I know that's the case for everybody. The older you get, the less you like change. Because when, you ha when things change, what do you have to do? You have to exert a lot more energy and thought about what you're doing. You have to spend more time trying to figure out what to do. Change jobs. Now you've got to drive, anybody that's changed jobs recently or moved to a new location, a new home, you back out of the driveway, you're going, and about halfway there, you're going the wrong way. Because you didn't remember that you have to drive a different way to this job or get to your job from a new house that's different from the way it was. Right? So change. Change, um, it, it can demand a lot from us because we have to, we have to focus on different things. We have, to, we have to look at different paths. We may have to get up at a different time of the morning. We may have to go to bed at a different time of night because we have to get up so early in the morning the next day. Or maybe we do the opposite. We're going to work late at night and we have to sleep during the day because we've got to go to work at night. Those are all challenging for us. Those changes make things difficult at times. Increased stress. Change causes more stress. Especially if you go to a new job. You go to a new job and you get to that new job and you don't know very much about the people that are there and you spend several weeks just trying to figure out who's who and who does what and how they talk and how they act. And in all of that, you're still trying to be the person God wants you to be and be the example you want to be. And maybe these people in this environment aren't quite so friendly to that kind of difference. They use language that's not very good. They talk about things that aren't very good. I worked one place um, several years ago, and the individuals that worked there loved to tell jokes, except their, joke, their dirty jokes weren't Johnny fell in the mud. Their dirty jokes were dirty jokes, and they just loved to tell these dirty jokes. And for me, the challenge was, what do I do when they're saying all this stuff when I'm there? What, what do I do about that? Well... After a little while, I finally realized, okay, i got to say something. So I said, I really don't appreciate that very much because of these things. Well, guess what happened after that? The jokes didn't stop. The ostracization began. And that creates a lot of stress, doesn't it? That can happen in school because you're trying to be the right kind of person and people don't like you being trying to be the right kind of person and so what happens they start assaulting you verbally or maybe just the opposite happens you continue with your good example and those jokes stop and the ostracization stops and it's like for me when some of my patients come in I well some of my patients would come in and their language isn't very good but they would come in they would start to say oh I'm sorry I'm sorry put their hand on the, I'm sorry, because they know I don't tolerate that. So you can have a positive that, but you know what? That's still stressful. That's still difficult. Then there are other reasons for transitions being difficult, and those, that is those transitions that are unexpected or unavoidable. An illness, an accident. Someone becoming suddenly ill and passing away. 
Those kinds of transitions are more difficult because you don't have time to plan. You don't have an opportunity to prepare yourself for something that occurs just like that. And that creates a great deal of stress. It creates a lot of change. And it's something you have to kind of scramble in your life to try to recover and get things back to normal. These transitions in life can be very challenging. So, let's look at a few biblical examples, just for a few moments. And you know these, I picked these particular circumstances for a particular reason, and you'll, I'll just give you a quick summary, and you'll understand what I mean. Oh, boy, that's tiny. Can you guys read that? Whew, that's tiny. Moses. Moses went through some, some transitions. If you guys are studying, remember Moses? In, Mo, in Exodus chapter 2 and chapter 3, ex, in, in Exodus chapter 2, what does Moses do? He goes out to see his people. And he sees an Egyptian abusing one of his people, an Israelite, and he kills him. He thinks that's a good thing to do, and he hides him in the sand. And the next day he goes out, and what happens? Ah, Moses, you killed that you killed that. Ah. The circumstance is known, and he runs away. How did he handle that transition? He ran away. But in Exodus chapter 3, 40 years later, he's out and he sees something phenomenal. He sees a bush that's on fire that doesn't burn up. And he is there spoken to by God, and God challenges him. God challenges him in every possible way and says, you're going to do these things. And Moses raises objections until finally God says, you're going to go do it, and I will give you the support you need. And then with that transition, what did Moses do? He went and did what God said. Now, it took a little while before that transition finally took its maximum effect. We don't really see that until Exodus chapter 7. But Moses finally overcame Pharaoh. Pharaoh faced a big transition. Remember the thing called the ten plagues? Here's a guy who is so self-important, so prideful, that he brings his nation to almost complete decimation, including the death of his own son. And finally acquiesces to let the children of Israel go, but his arrogance, his pride, his self-will said, I'm not going to let that happen and sends his army out after him and gets all of them destroyed too. So Pharaoh didn't handle that transition very well. Elijah. In Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19, what happened in, with Elijah is that he had just had this victory over the prophets of Baal. And a woman says... I'm going to kill you for what you did. How did he handle that stressful situation? He ran away. He ran away. He ran all the way from Mount Carmel all the way down into the desert into, into Upper Egypt. And there, he finally found a cave. And in that cave, God confronted him and said, why are you here? And then Elijah cries out of all the things and all the problems. 
And then God asks him a second time, why are you here? He cries and complains about everything else again. And then finally, when God talks to him the third time, he says, go and do what I tell you to. And how did Elijah handle that transition? He went and did what God asked. Because he finally came to the realization that he didn't have cause to be afraid as he was. How about the people on Pentecost? Remember those thousands that heard Peter's, Peter and the other, other apostles speak? And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter tells them to repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those people that, that those Jews that obeyed the gospel in Acts chapter 2, what kind of changes do you think they had to make? Remember, Jesus was not very popular at this time. They just thought they killed him a month before, and they were pretty certain that this guy was not the Messiah that God promised. And yet, these thousands say, yes, he is. How do you think their neighbors and friends treated them? Do you think maybe they faced a little ostracization? You think maybe they suffered a little bit at their jobs? You think maybe their neighbors would not talk to them because of what they just said? They said, Moses, fooey on you, we were going with Jesus. Not really that way, but Moses wasn't all, the law of Moses wasn't the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment, and I'm following him. Yes, there were 5,000 out of the hundreds of thousands in Acts chapter 2. But look at the stress that they faced. Pretty rough. And then look at Saul. What change did Saul have to make? Boy, Saul, I'll tell you what. There was a man, where was he when in Acts chapter 9? He was on his way to imprison people who were in the way of those 5,000 on Pentecost. And he was going to go get them and take them to jail. And the, although the scriptures never say it, the implication is in what Paul says of himself is that he was taking them back and knowing that many of them would be put to death. And yet, Jesus appears to him and says, I have different plans for you. You need to transition from who you are to who I want you to be. And how did Paul handle that? Amazingly. Amazingly. Because he immediately found the man that was sent to him and took action on what God told him to do, what Jesus told him to do. So we can see that these transitions that are recorded in Scripture have variable results for different reasons. So, how we handle transitions in life will directly determine the direction of our life. How we handle those transitions. Let me, uh, let's bring this one up. There's a transition of going from an infant to a toddler, right? Anybody ever work with one of those? Babies crawling, 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 and now you want to teach them to stand up and walk on their own two feet. Do they want to very much? Mostly no. Mostly they don't want to do that. And it's difficult. And sometimes they cry and they scream and they holler because they don't want to do it. After they start getting up and walk around, they realize, hey, there's a benefit to this transition. I can move around faster. 
a lot faster. And so, even in that kind of positive transition, that changed the direction of their life from becoming an infant to a toddler because it changed how they can function. So there's an example. But how we channel transitions in all parts of our life will change the direction of our life. The question I have is, upon what basis do we handle those transitions? How do we handle them? What's the basis for our decision-making? Well, I have three options. I think there are three options that we all face. And the first one we're real familiar with, and that is, again, that is really tiny, isn't it? <sighs> I'm sorry, I thought it had it bigger than that. Okay, first one is my opinions, beliefs, and understandings. I choose how to handle that transition. I decide which way to go. I decide if I want potty training or not. I know if, if my mother told me, she said, if I decided when that would happen, I'd still be wearing diapers because I did not want to. Something funny like that. But my opinions, my knowledge, my understandings are what drive my transition. I, that's the basis upon which I find that transition. Well, that can be good or that can be bad. Now, if the transitions are simple and they're easy, well, that's pretty simple. That's pretty easy. I have to back out of the, out of the driveway and instead of going left, I go right because I got a new job. That's pretty simple. And usually, that's not a problem. But there are other times when I when I use my basis to make a decision about a transition, then I have limitations. The first... Wow, I'm going to have a hard time reading that from back here. The first one is my... I am limited to my experiences. I'm limited to what I have experienced in my life to make a decision. Now, that can be good, that can be bad. And really, honestly, the older we get, the more experiences we have, the better that database is to make decisions from. But no matter how old I get, I'm still limited to my experience. I can't understand your experience, and you can't understand my experience because they are unique to each and every one of us. And that doesn't help. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 14. In Proverbs 14. Oy. Proverbs 14 should be verse 12. Yes, Proverbs 14 verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The proverb writer is telling us there that I may think that my experience has told me this is the right way and I start heading down that path and what the problem is is that my experience didn't give me enough information and the result of going down that path is problems which the proverb writer describes as death now that doesn't make every time that I make a decision based on my experience that I'm gonna die because if that was true not a one of us would be alive today Right? We wouldn't. So the problem is, is that my limitation in my experience 
places, my, places me in a difficult position of limitation to that. The second thing is, is I'm bound by my knowledge. I'm bound by my knowledge. Okay, I'm going to do some bad things here and just kind of, okay. I'm bound by my knowledge. Jesus states in Matthew chapter 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter in it are many, for the gate, oh, for the gate that is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, we take this in, re in, in relationship to our relationship with God, but that's a principle of life. The easy path that everybody's taking, it's easy. It's easy to find. It doesn't take any effort on my part. The narrow path, the hard path, not many people find that because it's hard. It takes work. It takes energy. It takes effort for me to find that path and stay on that path. I have to increase my knowledge base enough to be able to follow that difficult path. The easy path is really easy. I don't have to know anything. I just have to follow everybody else. And that's just too easy. The third reason is that my understandings, my beliefs, my experiences change as I change. Because can any of us say that we have no more understanding, experience, or beliefs than we did when we were 10? And that includes all you teenage, teenage folks, too. Or, okay, how about five? Is that better, Lila? Okay. We have better understandings now than we did years ago because we have changed. And that change in our experience and understanding causes us to have different perspectives. And what, what is recorded in Proverbs, Proverbs 12, verse 15, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise receive advice. So as long as I look at just what I think and my way, and I don't consider anybody else's way, God says that's being foolish. And all of us, no matter how old or young we are, all have that understanding. You've met people that refuse to listen to anyone else, and it's my way, and I'm doing it my way because I want it done this way. And, you, and you've seen the consequences of that. The majority of the time, it's fraught with problems and difficulties because they refuse to consider anything outside themselves. And then I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. And I want you to read this short section of Proverbs 1. Proverbs chapter 1 and verses 29 through 30, 32. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore... They shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the, tur for the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of the fools 
will destroy them. Joe this morning in his, class, in, his, in his lesson said, when we have only a physical purpose in life, we get exactly what we're, what we're asking for. We get only physical benefits. And that's what the proverb writer is recording here. As long as our focus and our purpose is only on that which we understand, which we believe, and which we experience, then we're going to have a problem because we're going to fail because of those limitations. Well, let's look at a second possibility. Oh, wait a second. Oh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3. You guys can tell I'm not professional at this, right? Okay, so I'm asking for a little mercy and grace and kindness here. And especially since those are so tiny. I'm going to turn around and read it this way. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I can think my opinions and my experiences and my understandings are so wonderful, so terrific, that I'm it. I'm it. And you, everybody ought to listen to me. What does Paul tell the Galatians? He deceives himself. The best self-deception that we can all lay upon ourselves is believe there's nothing we can learn from anybody else or any circumstance, and any advice we get is not worth anything because we've got it all figured out. That's a guaranteed destruction. So let's look at a second opportunity, and that is others. Understandings, beliefs, and experiences. Now, other people... Other people have good experiences and some good understandings. They're different than mine. And a lot of ways, those other experiences and those other opinions can give me some good advice. Matter of fact, God even instructs us to seek counsel from wise people. So that is good. And it's good for one real simple reason. We're expanding beyond ourselves. We're broadening our horizons to get a better experience, belief, and understanding. But, but, that is also limited by their experience. Paul tells Timothy, flee useful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flee youthful lusts. I don't know how old Timothy was here. Apparently he's in his 30s or 40s. Um... Would you call a 40-year-old person having youthful lusts? You know, when we talk about that in our society, we're talking about teenagers. Uh, Timothy's a lot older than that. And I can tell you, even as an older adult, that youthful lusts kind of every once in a while tend to bother me too. How about you? That happens. But why is Paul instructing Timothy to flee youthful passions? Because youthful passions cause us to be, one, be individuals who focus on what everybody else is doing and wanting to follow what they want us to pursue. Who will not say that all the advertising we get, all the stuff we see on the internet and things such as that, that there aren't youthful passions being promoted? That's pretty much all it is. 
And so if we look at what they tell us and what they advise us, then that's going to be something that is going to be limited to their experience and what they want for us or from us. And it's not necessarily good for us. The second thing is, is that they are limited to their knowledge. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. I promise you, and everybody, most all of you here know, that there are going to be people that are going to tell you things that you want to hear that are not right. They are not right. I'm sure you've all have heard the little, the, little, um, the, little, I, the little saying about, oh, you can't believe anything on the Internet, right? And then what do people, as soon as they search Google, they believe everything they read on the Internet? Is that wise? No, not even especially when you say you can't believe it, and yet you do. Because they're limited to their knowledge. What they're telling you is what they know. And guys, honestly, are they seeking God? Is the advice they're giving godly? Paul tells Timothy, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the name of the Lord with a pure heart. Can you say that the advice you're being given, the knowledge base that you are being told by others fits that description of pursuing righteousness, faith, and love? Most of the time you can't. Sometimes they do. Sometimes the advice you get from others is good advice. But you know what's interesting? If you think about the advice they're giving you, guess where it came from? Here. Came from here. Came from the scriptures. You can find a scripture that will parallel or actually sometimes even quote the advice that others are giving you, the knowledge base that they're giving you. The third problem is, is that they're limited by, they, they, their counsel, their advice, their understandings, their belief change because they change, just like we change. <clears throat> and here, Paul tells Timothy, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness. He is puffed up with conceit and understanding nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? Can you hear that happening today? They produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Can you hear that? When you, when you hear those words, can you just hear and see everything that's going on in society? Is that the counsel you want? Because that statement was made a couple of thousand years ago. Has that changed much? Not really. Not really. Then there's a third option, and that's God's knowledge and understanding God's knowledge and understanding I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10 Isaiah 46 and verse 10 God um, pardon me Isaiah records God stating declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done 
saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasures. As far as experience is concerned, I think God's got us beat. I think he has us beat. Look at James chapter 1 and verse 17. James 1 and verse 17. James records, Every good and every perfect gift come down from the Father above, from whom there is no, from the Father of light, from whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. What does that tell us about God's experience? God, God's experience covers everything. Everything. He is forever. If we think we've invented something God hasn't seen, guess what? We're wrong. Because there is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new in life that any of us can do that can, pr- that can produce something which God has not heard or does not know about. God does not change. If we look at Numbers chapter 23, look at Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. That's exactly what God says in Numbers 23. He says, God is not man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He has said, and it will, he has said, and will it not happen also? Or has, or has he spoken and will not it make it good? God is, God is not susceptible to the problems of humanity, of me or others. He is God. He doesn't need to change. He doesn't change. There's no need for him to change. So let's look at this particular perspective here. Let's look here. What is, Joe referred to Psalm 139 this morning, and I'm going to just come down past what he said and look in Psalm 139, beginning in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness will fall on me, even the night is light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness as light are both alike to you. No matter where I go, what I do, what I say, how I act, in any age, time, location, or place on the planet, or in the universe, God is already there. He's already there. He's already been there. He already knows what it looks like. He already knows what the end is going to be. Let's look also at... um, God also knows the end from the beginning. Wouldn't it be nice to get counsel from somebody who knows how it's going to work out before it even starts? Wouldn't it be nice to have information from the man who, from, the, from God, from the person who has already been there? Joe referred to uh, climbing Mount Everest. He talked to, about a man who had ascended to the top of Everest five times. And you know why he had so many people wanting to follow him? Because he'd been there five times and survived it. So he had good counsel on what to do. How about God who created it all? And he can tell us the end from the beginning. So, 
He is not limited in his knowledge. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And also in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for instruction and righteousness that the man of God may complete, be complete, thoroughly furnished to every good work. What has God left out for us to know? A lot. God left out a lot. But what he gave us was everything that pertains to life and godliness and so that we could be completely furnished to every good work. God wants us to have a positive outcome in our lives so he's not going to tell us how to get negative outcomes. We can do that all by ourselves. We don't need his help for that. What we need help for is having positive outcomes in every day, in every decision, in every transition. And that's what God has given us. All things pertaining to life and godliness and a written word that makes us thoroughly furnished to every good work. That's what God has done for us. And on the negative, to help reinforce what I just said, Paul tells Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness while the body training is good of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. God is telling us through the pen of Paul, you don't need to listen to all the advice of other people. It's not necessary for you to hear that counsel, especially, especially if it's silly myths. And improper information God instructed the children of Israel that when a prophet came to you giving his word giving a word giving a prophecy you were to test that word what did they test it against God's word they were told compare it to what is known in scripture what is written in scripture compare it to that if it complies if it complies with that, then listen to it. If it comes true as the prophet said, listen to it. So long as everything the prophet says complies with truth. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. Compare it all to known truth and use truth as the basis. Everything else, everything else are silly myths of, and, and fables and things we're not supposed to listen to. And as I said in the beginning, Isaiah 46, James chapter 1, God doesn't change. A perfect God cannot give an imperfect will, cannot write an imperfect law, and cannot give anything that is imperfect. That's why James says in James 1.17, all good and perfect things come from the Father. He can't make a mistake. And because of that, even though, yes, even though, yes, this was written a long time ago, and it's old, it's not outdated. It's not outdated. Because the command to love your neighbor as yourself applies to every person 
in every community, in every age, in every place. There is nowhere, there is nowhere that law, that rule, doesn't apply. Treat others the way you wish to be treated. Where does that not apply? It applies to every person, in every society, in every land, in every age, no matter where you are. So God doesn't have to change, and he, does, he gave us a law that cannot change, and it is complete so that we don't have to worry about the, net, the end result. And lastly, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and, may, and he will make your, straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You know what that phrase, make straight your paths, means? God will fill in the potholes. He'll make the road smooth. God's going to fill in the potholes so that our path is smooth in life, provided we are doing what? Trust in the Lord and do not lean on our own understanding. That's where we need to be because of his experience, because of his knowledge, and because he cannot change because he is God. So how do we handle transitions in life? Given those three options, which do you think is the best? Well, aren't all three of them valuable to some degree or another? They are. But which one covers every aspect? The third, leaning on God, trusting God, understanding what he says, because he has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, every situation in life no matter how complicated or how simple it may be the answer is here it may be just a simple principle of life like love your neighbor as yourself or it may be something a lot more challenging like do unto others as you would have them do unto you that's a really easy statement to say but it is challenging to perform How many of us will leave here, head home on the way to lunch, and talk about somebody else and what they were doing or what they said or how they were dressed or how they looked or they didn't talk to me or they snubbed me? Or the, How many of us will do that? Now, the question I have is, treat others the way you want to be treated. If you knew somebody was talking about you like that, would you be happy? No. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't want them to say things like that about you. So here's the heart. That's a hard one because that requires me recognizing what I'm doing and then exercising will over myself and saying, no, I won't do that. Because God wants better from me. So we handle transitions in life in different ways. Whether it's something that's simple or difficult, whether it's planned or unplanned, whether it's just a plain old milestone, a milestone in life, or whether it's some other kind of difficulty, we have the capability to handle those transitions. 
Will it make the change less difficult? Not necessarily. Will it reduce the stress? Mm, sometimes. Will it make things less unexpected? Possibly. Because some of the things that we read in Scripture prepare us for what might occur. But in all of those, it is God's will that guides us in all those ways. One of the most difficult transitions to make in life is from sinner to saint. Many of us have made that transition. But it's hard. It's difficult. Because to go from a life that is completely driven by what I want and choose to a life that is one that's controlled completely by someone else being God is difficult. That transition from sinner to saint is hard. But it can be done. And even when we've made that transition on that narrow path, trying to follow that road, sometimes we take our four-wheel drive vehicle and we go off-roading. And then things become very difficult. So we need to get back onto that road that God has made for us that is straight. By coming back to God and making our lives compliant with what God wants. So at this moment, at this time, the opportunity exists for you to turn your life over to God, become obedient to the gospel, baptized into Christ and put on a new life and getting rid of that old man. Or, or by requesting the help of the rest of our family to strengthen you and support you and getting your life back onto the track God wants you to have. And no matter which one of those it is, please take opportunity for this moment and come while we stand and sing.